Hey basketball fans, welcome back to the NBA Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network. As always, I'm your host, Alexander J. We've got a full panel again today to talk about the first round of the NBA playoffs. And this year, the first round has been full of surprise injuries that threatened to derail multiple championship campaigns. We've got former MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's currently out after a really hard fall on his back. The favorite for this year's MVP, Joel Embiid, is missing time with a knee sprain. Two-time finals MVP Kawhi Leonard suffered another knee sprain in his ACL-repaired knee he had a couple years ago. Not really sure if he's going to return. And last year's sixth man of the year, Tyler Hero, broke his hand in the first game. As always, the first round really helps us shake out some of the pretenders that have just made the cut from the teams that have deeper rotations and just play better basketball. Both the Timberwolves and the Nets have looked out of their depths in their series, whilst the Hawks looked pretty woeful early, but they had a win today that keeps them in the back of the Celtics' minds. Most importantly, the first round is also where some up-and-coming young teams get to convert their casual fans into believers for the first time. The story of this year is undoubtedly the Sacramento Kings and the change of fortune they've had under new head coach Mike Brown. Coach Brown was awarded the NBA's Coach of the Year this year as the Kings improved from a 30-win team last year to a 48-win team with an athletic and fast-paced offense. They also have the best gimmick in the league with the beam that gets lit from their stadium after every win, but we'll talk about that later. This playoff series is the first time in 17 years the Kings have been to the postseason, and they've got to play the defending champions first up. In a similar spot are both the New York Knicks and the Cleveland Cavaliers, as both teams perhaps overachieved this year against expectations. This 4 versus 5 matchup in the East has been really fun to watch as these teams have new star players, Jalen Brunson was signed by the Knicks in the offseason, and Donovan Mitchell was traded from Utah to the Cavs, and they play very similar hard-nosed styles at times. Madison Square Garden in New York was absolutely rocking today for Game 3, which was their first playoff game this year, and as an NBA fan, there's just nothing better than MSG going off. I hope you enjoy the show as me and the crew talk about all of these series and the others over the next hour, and as always, thanks for listening. All right, welcome back to the NBA Recap on the Mojo Sports Network. As always, I'm your host, Alexander J. This week, we've got four strapping young gentlemen to talk everything, the first round of the NBA playoffs and some stuff we've missed. Starting off from the mean streets of Melbourne, he is our forts, excuse me, he's our sports facility owner, but a fantasy team fanatic, Julian <laughs> Balthazar. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Jeez, tongue twister. Let's see if I can do better with Yuri Bilsic from DRN1 Sports Rap in Perth. He's our mini basketball encyclopedia. Yuri, what's going on, my man? Alex, how are you going? Good. Thanks, mate. The Sports Confidential podcast and Shepparton's favorite son joins us today, Jack Brophy. Welcome back. Hey, we're back again, guys, and go the Pistons for the playoffs. <laughs> well, they'll go all right. And as always, unfortunately, last but certainly not least at all, from the raw.com, Mr. Tom Dev. How are you? Uh, I'm not too bad. Back and ready to defend my predictions from last week. Yeah, not looking good. <laughs> we might touch on that a little later in the show. As always, if you're not driving and you enjoy the show, please give us a, a rating on uh, Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps us out. No more time wasting. Let's get right to it because lots of awards come out during the week, lots of injuries for key players, and we've got eight first-round series to get to. So, boys, I'm just going to touch on some of the stuff we've missed really briefly a minute on each one. Today, my Toronto Raptors, I'm wearing the Raptors jersey, formally let go of coach Nick Nurse, um, his time with Toronto ending. Does anyone have any burning thoughts that we didn't touch on last week? I put my hand up and said I think he might end up in Denver. Also reading the tea leaves, maybe the Philadelphia 76ers. Let's see. Tom, Yuri, Jack, I can see you're all willing to talk. We'll start with Jack. Hey, I just wanted to say that you called it last week. You called it nice and early, so um, props to you for that. So well done on that. But I'm sure the boys will want to deep dive into it. But 
I Tom, think congratulations. Thank you very much, Tom. Let's hear from you. Yeah, well, all the talk so far is that he's going to be in the running for Houston, but I don't, I don't know why he'd want to go there. They're going to be rebuilding for at least another three, four years. If I'm, if I'm Nurse, I'm sitting back. I'm waiting for these playoffs to fold out. I mean, Philly might be looking for a new coach. Clippers might be looking for a new coach. Suns, they might be looking for a new coach, mm-hmm. depending how it goes. Denver as well. Uh, I doubt Boston would be, although maybe they should be. But uh, yeah, and even, even the Bucks. I mean, I wouldn't say Bud's job is secure. So if I'm Nurse, you're a championship caliber coach. You've done well with a pretty average roster. I think people would be calling him for a job. I don't think he'll be out of the league too long. I think he's going to be a man in demand. Do you think so, Yuri? Yeah, absolutely agree, Alex. Those first, you know, roughly his first season when he led the Raptors to a championship was, you know, incredible in itself. But I oh, think, yeah. you know, the last, the last three seasons alone, I think, you know, the, you know, the gradual decline in results, you know, performances certainly had some of a contributing factor along the way too. And I think Masai Ujiri pointed that out as well for being the main reason why they decided to, you know, depart ways with Nick Nurse. And, Mm. hey, sooner or later, you know, some things like that do happen and they do, you know, pay off at the best of times. And you noticed very well, Alex, from at the end of the 2018 playoffs when Toronto were bundled out in the Eastern Conference semifinals by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the series sweep and Dwayne Casey, one coach a year, was gone. And you thought, oh, well, they might have just bit the bullet too early. But sometimes in a way, when it comes to a team and hiring an experienced coach, it always seems to bring an injection in a way. And whoever, basically, whoever Nick Nurse decides to, or whoever, you know, whichever squad needs him most to be their next coach, he's going to do an outstanding, you know, job. As You know, like, I'll take, for example, Rick Carlisle with Mm. the Dallas Mavericks. You think of all those years, right? And even when Rick came there in, what, 2008, Dallas were getting bundled out early in the playoffs for, say, example, the first round when they lost to Golden State Warriors in 2007. And it wasn't even until 2011 where finally they got over the hump and won that elusive NBA championship they only won in franchise history. So, again, something along those lines with like what Rick Carlisle did. And I know, of course, Nick Nurse didn't run his first season. But alone, whoever you know decides to go after him, then that's the big, you know, bonus win. And, you know, sooner than later, you know, teams will be knocking on his door, you know, interviewing him for, you know, that top spot yet again. Speaking of interviews, does anyone have a five-second prediction who ends up being the head coach in Toronto next year? I didn't ask you guys to prep for this because I think the Raptors are, are pretty liable to blow it up or at least partially make some moves this offseason. Ime Odoka is one that's been out all year that might be, might be available. Five seconds. Anyone got a prediction? Yeah, Ime Doka, I think, Alex, as well. Just the whole, you know, structure of the roster, I think, fits in very well with what Ime wants to do as well in terms of athleticism that the Raptors have got on their roster. Okay, moving on. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the final end-of-year awards that have been released so far. Six Man of the Year was awarded to Malcolm Brogdon. He becomes the second player ever to win Six Man and Rookie of the Year, first one being Mike Miller, I believe. Coach of the Year, also uh, Mike Malone from Sacramento Kings. He becomes the first ever unanimous Coach of the Year. He got 100% of the first place votes. I think the Kings won 30 games last year and 48 this year. Uh, sorry, Mike Brown, not Mike Malone. Everyone in the chat letting me know that I made that one wrong. It's for the Kings. Uh, staying on the Kings, the Clutch Man of the Year, Darren Fox. I don't think that one was ever in doubt. And Defensive Player of the Year went to Jaron Jackson Jr. in a slight surprise. 
I'm going to be the one to toot my own horn again here. I'm the only one here who's had all of these four predictions right when we did our predictions earlier in the season. So sticking with me, if my predictions for um, MVP is right, it'll be Joel Embiid, and I had Laurie Markkinen for most improved. Um, Jack, did I did I see you, what you wanted to touch on those really quickly, those awards? Yeah, I think, um, again, well done on getting them right. But I, I'm very surprised that Brooke Lopez didn't win Defensive Player of the Year. Um, I know that Jackson's had an outstanding year and from a stats point of view, especially as well, including his blocks um, and even steals as well. But I just feel um, the whole defensive game of Lopez goes underrated for more than what he is. He can play the four and the five. Um, he adds that little bit of versatility and obviously offensively as well, he can shoot from anywhere. And um, I think we spoke about it probably about a month or six weeks ago about how the season that he's had. And um, yeah, for me, I just thought he probably just deserved it, but that's just my opinion. Yuri, thoughts? Yeah, probably the same as well too because I was thinking from, I think it was right from the start of the year and it wasn't even until, what, the first 20 games of the season that Jaron Jackson Jr. was back in the, you know, the lineup because of, I think by memory, he had off-season knee surgery, if I'm not mistaken as well because Brooke Lopez, I was looking through the numbers a couple of days ago. He played 78 out of the 82 games, which is He's most, I'm pretty sure, since like 2016, 17, along those lines. And you think right throughout all those games and all you right throughout, shall I say, is that he consistently performed. And yes, at times the offense wouldn't run through him, of course, but then at times when the Bucks needed him most down the stretch or in moments where the offense, you know, dried up substantially, he'd always seem to, you know, really lighten up, whether, you know, from deep or, you know, more of the time playing in his, you know, preferred spot where at time you know most of the time where he can really do damage and that's on the low block mm. in terms of those post-ups down there so I was you know yeah substantially surprised and probably you know not to be biased or bad as well and yes games in terms of longevity how many games you do play does have you know a contributing factor to it to it as well but also the team's defense has you know mm. another aspect as well that goes a long way too so again Full, you know, congratulations to Jaron Jackson Jr. Because, you know, to average, what, 3.3 blocks this season where, yeah. you know, it's been, you know, since like Shaquille O'Neal, I'm pretty sure, averaged about three blocks in a game. And even Anthony Davis, I think, averaged like 2.8 in one season. Jaron so, Jackson's had a bit of an underrated offensive bloom towards the end of the season as well. Um, we've talked about that and we'll speak a little bit in that Grizzlies-Lakers uh, matchup about his offensive performance. But lastly, we'll just touch on very briefly some injuries that have happened everywhere around the league. We'll talk about these a little bit more in depth in our each, uh, excuse me, in each playoff matchup. We've had Giannis Antetokounmpo out with a back injury, his status going forward unclear. Ja Morant carried an injury in his hand into game one and then fell and sustained further injury. His uh, status unclear. Kawhi Leonard had a knee sprain in game one of the Clippers Suns series. He played game two, but have sat out game three and he's out at the moment, uh, I won't say indefinitely, but there's pessimistic rumors around the league about that one. Uh, Tyler Hero broke his hand his, his, uh, in game one, so his season is over. Uh, and there's one more I'm missing, but, you know, it can't be that important. Joel Embiid this morning, that's what it is. Joel Embiid knee sprain was reporting his MRI was um, not a good result, and he's out game four with an optimistic return for next week. Obviously, the Nets are down 3-0 in that series, so he might get a little bit of extra rest. But let's move on to each individual matchup. We're going to start in the West, Kings versus Warriors. And I want Mr. Tom Dev to talk to us all about that series because, boy, has that been a fun series to watch. I've watched every single game, every single minute. Yeah, it really, it has been appointment viewing. Uh, you just don't know what to get. One minute, it's a heavily contested, high-scoring game. Next minute, you got guys stomping on each other. So yeah. 
you don't really know what to get. But uh, I thought I'd just touch on sort of the main points. But I have to say, one thing I did not expect to happen is I didn't think De'Aaron Fox was going to sort of live up to his regular season hype that he had, to the you know, amount that he has. I mean, game one, 38 points, 15 points and three assists in that fourth quarter alone to get that game home. Uh, game two, 24 points, nine assists. And then even game three, when they were getting blown out, uh, 26 points, nine assists, nine rebounds. So he's just filling the stat sheet and he, he's showing that he is going to be that point guard of the future. People kind of thought they stuffed up when they traded Halliburton away and they shouldn't have kept Fox, but he's proving everyone wrong. Uh, I think the biggest surprising thing for me is just how big of a drop off the Warriors are having when Curry goes to the bench. Mm. Uh, I mean, the stat is he's plus 38 when he's on the floor and then negative 32 without him. For a, a guy who's not a two-way player, that is absurd. And it, it clearly shows their offense is completely tailored around him. Uh, but, I mean, they didn't look too bad yesterday when he went to the floor and other guys sort of had it going. Um, and then sort of Kings in general look good. I mean, I, everyone sort of thought when the lights got bright, they might sort of go into their shell. Although they are missing open three-pointers and that really hurt them in game three. And it wasn't even like they were you know, taking heavily contested you know, he's at the buzzer. They were having open shots. And I mean, where the hell is Keegan Murray gone? He has really fallen off to the point where he's not even going to be seeing the floor soon if uh, things continue this way. And Sabonis, I'm disappointed in his sort of output. He's been doing the rebounding. He's been doing getting the assists, but his scoring's just completely hit the floor. Uh, and they're leaving him open. You know, mid-range in three, they leave him open. And he takes a couple of them, but it's not really doing any damage for them. And they need him if they're going to, win this series. Uh, and then Wiggins has not missed a beat. He's shown why he's so integral to this team. And I honestly thought he'd probably come back and be scoring in the mid-teens and be lucky to sort of be hitting a few shots. He has shown that whatever he was doing while he was away from the team did not hurt uh, his play on the floor. And then Draymond's suspension is, I don't know, I actually thought they looked better without him yesterday. <laughs> yeah, with, that's the crazy with, thing. Yeah, yeah well, I thought they looked better with four shooters on the floor because they went with Poole instead of Draymond. Then you had Clay Wiggins. And I, I thought they did a bit better. And I'll touch on it a bit later in performance of the week. But Looney filled Draymond's role easily. Like, no issues whatsoever. So could this be the moment that the Warriors go, let's let Draymond walk in the offseason. Look what we did in game three without him, mm. potentially. Although, that being said, every time we've doubted Draymond, he comes back with a triple-double the next game and he's the most integral player on the floor. Uh, but honestly... After game one and two, I still sort of felt like Warriors were, you know, with them. They weren't hitting their strides. Game three, Kings did miss a lot of open shots. But to be honest with you, I'm feeling pretty good about my prediction of the Kings starting 2-0 and and then losing in six. So That's what I wanted to um, hear, Tom, because I think we all picked the Kings except for you. And you said, yeah, first two games at home with the Kings, and then they'll go down to four straight. Um, look, we might come back this time next week, and you'll be wearing the crown, not me, for the predictions champion. Um, that's, that's a big one. The Kings are only shooting 27% from three. So that's the stat across the three games. It's 27%. Um, Yuri, have you been watching much of this series? Oh, uh, yeah, the first two games. Unfortunately, I only got to watch probably the final four minutes of game three yesterday. But just what Tom touched on as well in terms of DeMarcus Sabonis' you know, production and you know, I think offensively as well, you know, it's taken a little bit of a dip. But full credit has to go to Kevon Looney as well because – He's also been such a – he's always been an underrated piece of what Golden State, you know, wants to do in terms of the defensive end. And even at the odd times offensively too, he had 20 rebounds yesterday and nine nine assists, shall I say. No, yeah, nine assists, if I'm not mistaken as well. So that was, you know, really important to, in terms of how, you know, 
Golden State were able to, you know, minimize Sabonis' impact. Because last season as well, in the postseason against Dallas in the closing game five of the Western Conference Finals, he had 18 rebounds and 10 points. And those, you know, you know, minimal, you know, points that he does score as well, they still, you know, contribute a long way to, you know, Golden State getting, you know, getting back those games. And, you know, as what happened yesterday in game three, he was the one that, you know, out of, you know, Curry and Thompson and Jordan Poole's performances, his one really, you know, was the real underrated, you know, piece of why they were so successful. So yet again, it's not only that too, but also screens as well. And, you know, just be able to, you know, roll off and just those little defensive intangibles. Because Coach Steve Kerr's, you know, talked about, you know, Kavon's, you know, importance to the team in terms of just being that glue defensively. So yet again, his, you know, influence on stopping Sabonis and throughout these first three games is, you know, the reason why, you know, Golden State, you know, at least, you know, are giving themselves a chance of, you know, turning around the series. Julian, final comments on this series? Yeah, just a really quick one. I think last week, I think I also have Warriors to win in maybe five or six. And um, last week I actually said um, how much, how important does experience come into play in, in any sport, really? You see it in all sports around the, around the globe. Um, and I just think, yeah, I mentioned last week, Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter, like not having a lot of playoff experience, how are they going to fare? And I think their three-point percentage has been super low in the first few games, as Tom touched on, especially with Murray. And I think that's what we're going to see in the next few games, not trying to get ahead of myself, but I think we're going to see that the experience of the Warriors prevail, um, and, and that's just pivotal for their success. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. The old adage that no series ever starts until someone wins on the opponent's home floor is very true for this. The Warriors notoriously terrible on the road. So if they can pick up one in Sacramento, that'll be very big. Sticking in the West, we're going to move to the Nuggets versus Wolves. At the time of recording, uh, I think that game's just wrapped up, game three. Uh, Nikola Jokic, a triple-double in game three, I believe, to take the 3-0 lead. I didn't see the score. I just saw him getting interviewed, Jack. What have you got to say about this series? Yeah, 3-0 lead for the Nuggets at the moment. Um, Basically, it's one of those things where... They've done what they've had to do so far today. Um, we obviously know that the Nuggets are the number one seed um, and my expectation about are they just a good regular season team? And I think this jury's still out on that. I'm not a big fan of the Timberwolves at all with probably only Anthony Edwards stepping up over the, the last three games. But, yes, at the time of recording, the Nuggets have won 120 to 111 in game three. Um, but the player for this series so far for me has been Jamal Murray. Um, first game he had 24, 8 and 8. And then the next game, he just blew it out of the water and had 40 points. So I thought that was fantastic from him. And um, today he's had a little bit more of a quieter game. Um, but for me, like I said, the Nuggets have done what they've had to do and the jury's still out on them, I, I think. Um, we, we've got to wait and see where, where that takes us. But the Timberwolves, I think they were lucky just to make the playoffs, really, let's mm. be honest. Um, Should have been OKC. Should have been our boy SGA. <laughs> <laughs> or Josh Giddy, yeah, absolutely. But I think there's just so much discombobulation within the team. Um, I don't think it's set in concrete, even though they they have a great mix of players that do different things, including Conley, Cat, um, Gobert, who I'm not a fan of at all, to be honest with you guys. But um, yeah, like I said, Nuggets have done what they've had to do, and I think they've been really impressive. Um, and that's the wrap from me. Carl Anthony Towns over the two games, this isn't including today's game, 11 points, 10 rebounds, 29% shooting from the floor averages. Yuri, is that what you want to talk about or is there something yeah, else that, in the series? That was definitely one thing I was going to touch upon as well, Alex, because I think in Carl Anthony Towns' first playoff appearance back in 2018, he was really dismal against Houston. And the same problems are rising yet again throughout you know the first two games and 
he was a little bit better in game three, but still, how do they, Minnesota at different times going to, you know, and this is, again, been so countless, incorporating him and Gobert, because Gobert, you don't see him rolling or, you know, place himself 15, 17 feet out from the basket. But any time, you know, Gobert's in the paint, there's Carl Anthony Towns who's on the three-point line. So those adjustments and trying to, you know, make sure that both players, you know, get in in terms of the offensive flows, just it's been really hard to predicate for them. And yet again, I thought one thing that might have given them, you know, a real chance. And although, you know, Nas Reed being, you know, sidelined with the broken wrist and also Jaden McDaniels yeah. punching his hand. Yeah, those two are major outs for Minnesota in terms of, you know, bench production. But I thought another part with Carl Anthony Townsend, Rudy Gobert was I thought they could, you know, be, you know, far better shot blockers, especially Gobert in terms of altering, you know, Denver's production in the paint. And it just hasn't been. I think, you know, so many times Gobert's been, you know, challenge and you know hasn't been able to emphatically swat away you know block shots at the rim what he was doing at Utah and I think a couple years ago and we probably touched a little bit of base on this as well when the Clippers went small ball on him and I think Denver did a little bit of that today as well in game three by playing Aaron Gordon at the center spot Mm. and the same you know issues arise yet again and how they sort of you know try and stymie it in game four well it's going to be difficult enough. I think the prediction of, you know, Nuggets winning six is probably going to be, you know, far distant memory now because I think we take everything into consideration right now. It's going to be a sweep and that's the real, you know, reality of it for what Minnesota are facing. Tom, one final thing for the series before we move on. Yeah, this is sort of just an open question to the to the panel, but do we just sort of forget about the Suns? I know, I know this is just Minnesota, but I feel like the Lakers and the, uh, the Suns... Sorry, did we forget about the Nuggets? Sorry, I feel like the Lakers <laughs> and the Suns are uh, we're getting a lot of finals hype, even uh, Clippers and that after that game one with Kawhi. And I feel like no one really went, everyone sort of just went, oh, Nuggets had fell, fell off in the back half of the year. They're done for. I feel like they could end up just in the Western Conference finals and everyone's just sort of be like, how the hell did they get there? Yeah, that's an interesting one because you look at their pieces individually with uh, Michael Porter Jr., who just never passes and seems to sink everything, which works for them. Uh, Jamal Murray, who's showed that he's returning to form in the playoffs. He's being that playoff Jamal Murray we've seen previously in the bubble. And obviously the two-time MVP, potential three-time back-to-back-to-back MVP in Nikola Jokic. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people share my worldview as well, that they're just waiting to see what happens in more important rounds. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they make it through to the West, but I would be surprised if they get knocked out in the next round. So I don't know if Julian or Yuri, you feel the same way. In terms of Denver? Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think oh, it's a little bit of a toughish one in the way. I think, you know, Jokic will have his own way with DeAndre Ayton because Ayton, they mentioned this on the broadcast as well. He isn't, you know, the most physical center in terms of all the centers in the league as well. And I think that's one thing where, you know, Jokic really excels most too, even though he's so Is that you know, what the next so matchup deaf. is? Sorry to interject. Is that the yes, next it matchup? Is. It is, yeah. Yes, okay. it is the 4-5 matchup and the 1-8 matchup. Yeah. And, you know, if Jokic's patience around the rim, he just hardly seems to get flustered. He has all the time in the world. And we've seen that through the first three games against Minnesota, even against Rudy Gobert, who's you, you consider the best shot blocker in the league, surely. And he's just finessing by him with absolute ease. And I think that's – if you're a Timbles again – you're left scratching your head. How does that constantly happen all the time? And it's one of those ones, yes, that's their problem that they've got to face. But back to, you know, that potential, you know, Western Conference semifinals, that's the one where I think Denver can get Phoenix in terms of, you know, the front line as well. But also at the same time, who they, you know, they're going to 
say now Denver's got to win it and somehow, you know, Phoenix beats the Clippers, then they're mm. going to play Aaron Gordon and Kevin Durant, right? Mm. Oh, I think so. I mean, who else are they going to play? Because he's their best stopper. Is there, apart from what, Contavious Caldwell Pope? But then yeah, he's I don't think like, KCP's no. not big enough, no. No, that, that's, that's a really interesting one to think about for next week because I think those two teams might be the ones coming through. Uh, we're going to take a really quick break as Jack Brophy heads off for a commentating gig. He's got the late call-up for a commentating gig, so we'll take a quick break and come back to you with more in the Western Conference. Back on the NBA Weekly Recap Show and straight into the Grizzlies versus Lakers with Yuri. Uh, this se- series is tied at 1-1. Lakers winning the first game and John Morant copping that injury, but the Grizzlies performing in game two. Talk to us about this series. Yes, it's been a really fascinating one through the first two games, Alex, as well. We saw the Lakers end game one on the 15-0 run and, and basically yeah. was capped off by Anthony Davis's emphatic dunk. And that was the real you know, early statement the Lakers made, I should think. By memory, they shot 53% from the floor and they're outstanding from distance where we've spoken numerous times. They've had their countless struggles from downtown. They shot, I think it was 16 or 37 from deep. So that was, you know, a real clinical game one offensive performance. And then we saw what Memphis did in game two and the most unlikeliest of heroes. Xavier Tillman yeah. was filled in, you know, nicely for Stephen Adams and Brandon Clark. Two and, huge blocks yes. on AD in just 14 oh, minutes of play. Oh, and also as well. I'll probably mention just very quickly too, John Conchar's block on Anthony Davis. Yeah. What about that? Absolutely mess. Excuse me. That's what I meant. It was John Conchar, not Xavier Tillman. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Massive block. That was an unbelievable. That was an unbelievable play. Now I think by memory during the second quarter. So I think really early on, I don't think the Lakers were really scouting for this in terms of, you know, Xavier Tillman having, you know, a major offensive impact. But his pass early on, I think – they down 6-5, and he had that lovely pass back door to Desmond Bain for the layup. And the Lakers, of course, completely got, you know, misled by that offensive play, which is, you know, brilliant execution from Coach Taylor Jenkins. But also, so many of Tillman's, you know, 22 points came basically close to rim, and whether he was rim running, rim, rim running or he not. He got stuck on that last week yes, as well. Yes, last week, <laughs> a couple of episodes ago. But those ones during the second quarter really, you know, I think made Darvinham pretty, you know, displeased about it. And now something I think Memphis really wanted to try and do. And we spoke about in terms of the series preview between the two teams, Memphis, you know, running out of transition a lot more and generating those fast break opportunities because that's where they excel. They finished third in terms of pace during the regular season. And yet again, his rebounding too. He had one big rebound. I think when Memphis's offensive Offense, shall I say, dried up in the third quarter. And then in the fourth, the Lakers were trailing 94-88. There was three minutes left, and Desmond Bain missed a three by memory. Yeah. Tillman grabs an offensive rebound. The five of his five offensive rebounds on the night, Abby's 13 rebounds, kicks it back out, and Bain gives it to Dylan Brooks, who LeBron decides to leave wide open because, you know, yeah. Dylan Brooks is a very up-and-down shooter, and he drains a three. And that was all because of Xavier Tillman's hustle on the off- offensive end. And I think they also did an outstanding job, you know, curbing Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Ruffle- Russell's impact on the game as well. Austin Reeves was basically a non-factor right throughout. And LeBron, even though he had the 28 points, he was on 23 field goal attempts, including yeah. one of eight from downtown. Exactly the other right. big one too, Anthony Davis held to 13 points on four, 14 shooting. They did an outstanding job, especially I think AD spoke about it too. He missed a lot of, you know, very gettable shots around yes. the ring, which he doesn't normally miss. So again, Memphis, that was a big bounce back to what happened in game one. And 
come game three tomorrow, should be really intriguing to see what happens. Tom, you've got more to say for the series? Yeah, look, obviously LeBron's got that foot injury and he's looking quite passive. I, I think the stat was in game one, he only had five drives to the basket, which is very un-LeBron-like and he is shooting you know, a higher volume from three and he's not making as many as he'd like. Uh, so while you can point the finger at LeBron, I think personally, and you know anyone can dispute this or agree with me on this, but I think the blame needs to be put at AD Absolutely. because when the Lakers made that trade what, four or five years ago now, I'm pretty sure their vision would have been in three years' time, this is AD's team, and LeBron can take a backseat, and you know, AD is going to be the guy. And yet here we are, 38-year-old LeBron James is, is you know, the team's on his shoulders, really. If LeBron doesn't play well for this whole series and this playoff run, they're not winning the championship. So, you know, did has AD let the Lakers and LeBron down? He's had games towards the back end of this year where you go, damn, that's that MVP, Anthony Davis, who we've been looking for for a decade. And then he just disappears. Um, I when I watch the Lakers, I struggle to see if it's him not getting the ball early and getting in a rhythm or if it's explicit game plan, kind of like the last couple of games for the Grizzlies have been, they have been game planning for him. Um, I think we might all agree that it's probably subpar performances there. Julian, I think, do you have a, a strong feel either way for that one? No, honestly, no. I just want to see how it plays out. I think, um, yeah, it could go either way. I think I had them uh, either team in seven. I can't even remember who now. <laughs> <laughs> Just good basketball is all we want. Jules, we might stick with you as we move on to the Suns first Clippers series. Uh, this one took an unfortunate turn midway through the week. Um, Phoenix currently up 2-1, but Kawhi Leonard did not play game three with a, I think it's a right knee sprain. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski was reporting it's unrelated to his ACL rehab, but today there's been some pessimistic rumors around the league that maybe it's a bit worse than they're letting on. Talk to us about the series. Yeah, a bit of a shame. We, we did talk about this uh, in depth last week about the Suns and, um, and and Clippers, and we knew that they were going to inject some heavy minutes into Leonard, which he hasn't been used to the last few years. And um, even Phoenix as well. I think Durant and Booker all, both played about 40-plus minutes in each game, so they're mm. not shy of taking them to the bench either, the Suns. But, yeah, the game one was a surprise, I think, how the Clippers came out and beat them. Kawhi was absolutely huge with 38 points, I believe. Westbrook had three blocks, including the clutch one at the end. And even... Um, Players like Eric Gordon hit some clutch shots at the end as well. But I think what we saw in game two and game three was more what I expected from the Suns, which is just pure offensive power from Durant and, and, and Booker, really. Booker's the mm. one who's just looking unguardable. I think he went 18 for 29 in game three from the from the court. Um, so, yeah, I think the Suns clear this out, and especially with Leonard out. I don't know how Powell and Westbrook and Burton, you know, the, the responsibility of when really Westbrook, I mean, yes, he can score, but it's really not his strongest skill point there, the, you know. Not at this point so, in his career, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I think the Suns will close this out purely because it's just too hard to stop um, the Booker with the form is in plus Durant. Um, and I'm still really big on the Suns despite the fact that Chris Paul is looking a bit shaky. Mm. Doing a bit more um, catch and release sort of shooting. He went one for eight from threes. And yeah, he's he two some, for 11 from the series. Yeah, and he missed some really open shots I looked at on uh, when I watched game three. And, um, yeah, and obviously the ball is not in his hands as much. They're doing a lot through Booker and Durant. And um, even to seal the game, Chris Paul, who's one of the best free throw shooters, missed two free throws in a row. And then when the ball is in his hands with the last final seconds, he actually passed it off to Durant so they would foul him. Yeah. So he's a little bit low on confidence. But I think with Booker, Durant, and even players like Torrey Craig, who are just – he kind of reminds me of PJ Tucker and like a Jared Vanderbilt. Like he will – fight really hard for an offensive rebound, which comes really, really handy down in the clutch. I think he's just a player, like a really underrated player who um, who's one to watch out for. 
Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm still big on the Suns. I think they're, they're, they're um, a team to watch out for next to the Bucks and Celtics. Chris Paul, Father Time stops for no man. Tom, do you want to talk about the Suns or the Clippers in this series? Uh, I was going to hit on, quickly on both, to be honest. But uh, look, I think this is an indication that load management, it's just not going to work. Uh, you know, they put Kawhi in bubble wrap for half the season. The moment they need him to start ramping up the minutes, it, it lets him down. And right. now he's missed game three. He's going to miss game four. If it's 3-1 going back to Phoenix, I don't see there being another game in LA. And it's a shame because I, I don't know about you guys, but I was absolutely just in love with watching Kawhi back to that peak, you know, sort of Toronto form mm-hmm. in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. we got that for one and a half games, really. And now gone. And maybe this is the sign where they're going to break up the Clippers. I mean, they're not training Kawhi because you see what he can do in game one. You got to contact every medical expert in the world to uh, get that for at least a playoff run. But maybe Paul George is on the training box so they can get someone with a bit more durability. Um, and then as for the Suns, uh, look, I don't think they're going to be tested here throughout, but in game one when it was close, what were they doing giving, you know, Booker the ball? Get it yeah. to Durant. He's like seven foot. He can get any shot he wants. And the moment they come and double him, he's such a good passer. He sees the floor so well. He was getting that ball to Booker in uh, game two and Booker just was wide open, drove straight in the lane, I think twice in a row, hit points. So next series, and if it's going to go to a conference finals and finals, if the Suns are there, Durant's got to be the man. Like, I know Booker did it a couple of years ago, but it's got to be Durant. I almost wonder if it's a bit of a, an attitudinal thing from Kevin Durant that this is Devin Booker's team and he's just joined them and figuring it out. Yuri, I don't know if you feel the same way. I know Devin Booker's been the scoring genius. And if I had to pick an MVP dark horse for next year, I'd be looking his way with his output and his volume. Um, how do you feel about the series, Yuri? Yes, I feel I felt you know really optimistic after game one after the Clippers won on the road, but now of Kawhi's you know again another knee issue and you know Paul George being ruled out for the you know the series which was reported a few days back. It's just it makes it really difficult for the Clippers. I think the one success they did have during Game Three, so and I did watch the final quarter of it, was they went super small, like yeah. minusculely small ball, mm. and that did help a lot. And we saw a couple of years ago against Utah, the same ploy exactly worked and got them right back into the series and eventually won that Western Conference semifinals. But it feels though it just might be one bridge too far because again the obvious about it as well is that if you go that small you're going to get absolutely out rebound out rebound on the glass and that's exactly what happened in those final two three minutes of the game with deandre eight and grabbing those couple of offensive rebounds it just really hurt them so how they sort of you know go about with evita zubats's minutes as well for you know game four who knows about that I would be interested to see if they do return to it because even though uh, Aiden pulled down those rebounds at the end of game three, Clippers only lost by five and Aiden's been a bit passive. I mean, that's the knock on him his entire career, but particularly this series and when the Clippers played small. Uh, just one thing before we move on, Russell Westbrook averaging 22, 8, 8 and 2 blocks, shooting 40% from the floor. Um, he's playing well. Even in game one, he had a pretty atrocious game, but he was an absolute pest on defense. He was picking Kevin Durant's pockets. He had the game ceiling block. Um Look, I don't think this is over, but I think it's pretty heavily leaning towards the Suns. We're going to move on uh, to the Eastern Conference uh, first round with the Cavs first, Knicks. Yuri, uh, the Knicks got a win today. They're up 2-1 in the series. Madison Square Garden is a rockin'. It was a big win in game three. I think they ended up winning by 20, but they're up by 27 in the fourth. They Today's game was the first game all series, excuse me, the first game all season where a team was kept to less than 80 points. Cleveland could only manage 79. Talk to us about this season, Yuri. 
Oh, it's unbelievable. It's like 1999 playoffs all over again at Madison Square Garden, right? Alex, just the fever pitches, the no- fever pitch noise there was just palpable to say the least. It was just absolutely mesmerizing. We know, of course, you know, during those 90s eras with the Knicks making the postseason and just the crowd game right behind them. And we saw it again right today. And although, you know, both teams couldn't shoot a bucket through the ocean, especially the Cavs, they were, what, two of 19 from downtown at yeah. halftime. And he had 32 first-half points. And yes, the Knicks only scored 45. But it just felt as though that hounding defense, they just didn't allow Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell to get into any flow in the game. Evan Mobley, yes, he had his, you know, couple of dunks through, you know, patience in the paint. But just... They just couldn't generate anything. Um, unlike game two, it's where they literally just toyed with the Cavs basically from, you know, the second quarter onwards. And although, you know, Julius Randle's game, you know, was subpar, he only shot, what, about three of 15 by memory from the field overall. Mitchell Robinson, again, just like game one, his offensive hustle on the glass absolutely hurt the Cavs yet again. And although, yes, they lost Quinton Grimes, he only played 13 minutes, I think it was a shoulder. He was battling with as well. So Josh Hart basically started the second half and his defensive production gave the Knicks, you know, yet another major lift. And I at the start of the series, I had the Knicks in six games. I just felt as though the bench as well, plus the defense, which Tibbs has, you know, really brought along since taking over as Knicks coach in the summer of 2020, has really elevated the Knicks to what they really want to achieve as a team as well. And plus him utilizing the bench a lot more and he's been well-renowned for playing his starters a heavy log of minutes, 35-plus mm. minutes. doesn't matter whether it's the regular season or the postseason. He's done a really nice job of having Isaiah Hartenstein, Emmanuel Quickly, Josh Hart, who's, of course, started the second half, basically playing, you know, 20-plus minutes and giving, you know, Julius Randle, Mitch Robinson, even RJ Jalen Barrett Brunson, got a bit of a yeah, arrest, RJ yeah. Barrett, yes, those guys, you know, taking the load off them in a way. So... That was something that really stood out today in Game 3 as well because they were just right on song right from the opening tip. And although, you know, I think it was 17, yeah, it was 17 each after the first first quarter. It just <laughs> completely blitzed them apart. It was just like the 1990s all over again. It was quite a low-scoring game early. I think there was a stat. As you said, Yuri, they went into the break 17 each and then the Knicks shot 61% from the floor the rest of the game, or at least until the dying moments. Um, the crowd in Madison Square Garden wanted Derrick Rose badly as well, chanting... Derek Rose, and uh, they were forced to put him in with about two and a half minutes remaining. He went 0-4 from before trying to get some points as the crowd were very disappointed he couldn't score. But today might have been the RJ Barrett game we were all kind of waiting for. He shot 8 for 12, uh, 50% shooting on his three-point attempts, and he ended with 19 points, didn't play much of the fourth quarter. Uh, He was really good, I thought, for them, but Jalen Brunson has just been unreal for them. Um, again, going back to Cleveland in the next couple games, uh, moving forward, do you think Donovan Mitchell can still do some damage? I know the rebounding for Cavaliers, Tom, is something you want to touch on briefly. The series is far from over, and I feel really comfortable about my Game 7 somebody prediction. It'll be somebody in Game 7. Tom, go ahead. Yeah, no, the series definitely is far from over. I mean, we saw Knicks win Game 1, and then the Cavs just blew the doors open in Game 2. But uh, the rebounding for the Cavs, I mean, Game 1 was there for them to win. Uh, when Mitchell went on that run by himself, it looked like they were going to kind of steal momentum and take that game, even though Nick sort of were in top for most of it. But then Randall with the offensive board, Mitchell Robinson with the offensive boards, when you have Evan Mobley and Jared Allen as your you know, power forward center combo, you can't be giving up offensive boards in the you know dying minutes to lose a game. And I mean, Allen only had five uh, rebounds today, 
in a game where there were a lot of missed shots on mm. both ends, especially in the first half, and that's just not going to cut it. And also, this Cavs' depth in the front court, they've, they've got nothing. Uh, letting Kevin Love go in the buyout market was a bit odd now when you look back on it. I mean, oh. sure, he's not going to be the defensive, you know, uh, anchor of your team, but he's at least going to be able to get rebounds. That's he's a body. Kevin Love. Yeah, he's, he's a, a body. body that's warm and it can stand up. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, in game two, when they were up by 20-odd points, Jared Allen was still out on the floor because they literally just did not trust uh, Robin Lopez to go out there. And he ended up, you know, having that pretty ugly foul on Julius Randle. But, mm. you know, don't leave you guys out on the floor when they don't need to be. No, I think we're going to keep a close eye on this series. Uh, we've got three more series in the East to get to, Julian. Uh, the 76ers versus Nets. And we might try and go really quickly on these three series because we've got a time schedule we've got to keep to today, guys. How annoying is that? Yeah, but yeah. This is 3-0 to Philly. Yeah, we'll fly past this one because I think we all expected this. Um, Sixers looking too strong for a Nets that um, probably didn't really have a huge amount of expectations heading into it. Um, they, they've done quite well stopping Embiid by... Well, the, by, by stopping, I mean, they're just double-teaming him literally every yeah. single play, and he's just been forced to pass it off. But um, I thought Tyrese Maxey was huge in Game 3, which was, as you pointed out, probably the only chance Nets had to sort of have some sort of hope in, in I guess, making the series go to 6 or 7. Um, but unfortunately, you know, that Maxey was just too good down in the clutch. And, um, yeah, uh, the six is looking really strong. But, yeah, and sadly, Embiid with that injury, um, you know, I guess he doesn't really need to play in the next few games if they can. I think they're capable of getting it done without him. Mm. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, it's still been an interesting series to watch. Yeah, game three, uh, Brooklyn were right in it, just down three points with a handful of seconds remaining. Joel Embiid has a, a SWAT to save the game, and then they just turn it over on the inbounds pass Brooklyn do. So you got a feeling uh, they'll probably get it done, but um, game three was crazy ejections. Mm. Flagrants. James Harden had it going, and he got ejected, so a bit unfortunate we couldn't see him keep giving a push. Um, moving on to the Celtics versus Hawks game, I had not watched a second of this today, Tom, and I am so sorry to hear that Boston went down to the Hawks. Quickly tell us what happened. Yeah, uh, well, I did my notes for this yesterday and my first top, top half of my notes are quite optimistic. The uh, <laughs> bottom half have very uh, changed quite a lot after today. But look, first two games, Celtics hardly got out of second gear. Uh, they got up by 30 at halftime in game one, let go of the rope, but they never, just never really out of hand. Uh, game game two, Hawks sort of came out firing, went up by eight. Celtics called a timeout. Hawks came out, hit a three, but then the Celtics went, all right, time to play defense. That's what our system was based off last year. Let's do it. They went on a huge run. Uh, I think it was like, 20 to three or something at one stage, closed it out. Never really looked like they were going to lose that. One thing they did though, that was completely, that was really bad and, you know, hurt them today. They let Murray get hot. And today mm. he came into the game and he continued that hot streak. He had seven threes in game two. Today he was hitting everything and anything he'd liked. Uh, and, you know, White was doing a pretty good job managing Trey today. Not so much. Uh, you know, and in game three, Boston, they were hitting their threes, but their defense was nowhere to be seen. And I mean, yes, the Hawks made a lot of tough shots, but you know, you can't expect uh, to win a fire championship when Boston was just allowing the Hawks to just walk into the paint and do whatever they like. Uh, and I don't know why Rob Williams only played 19 minutes. Uh, Brown was in foul trouble, but it was also just having a bad game. And look, it's one game, it, it, you know, no need to overreact, but at the same time, a lot needs to improve if Boston are going to go all the way. Yeah, I'm having a look at the box score now. Um, I didn't watch a second, as I said. Trey Young, 32 points. Was that a good performance from him, Tom, or was that he just getting points? Oh, I, I know they were targeting him on defense as well. They were going at him and really abusing him. It, it was a good game from him, sorry? Yeah, no, it was. It, I, I'd say he, he sort of knew what was going on. He, he hunted the mismatch on our Horford a bit, and he was just blowing by guys. And, I mean, both Murray and Trey, they combined today 57 points, 14 assists, 12 rebounds. But also, 
the big story was the Hawks bench just came in and made an impact, especially Sadiq Bay uh, and Bogdanovich. I mean, Bay was three from three uh, from the three point line, fifteen points in the end, and Bogdanovich fifteen points as well. He was three from four from three, which that, they won the game basically, uh, or at least they took control of the game in the second quarter, and Celtics just couldn't match it. And there's that name I always see, Yuri uh, say, excuse me, Jalen Johnson, two for three from three-point line for his 10 points, I think. Yuri, our very last series this week is the Bucks first Heat, which is currently tied 1-1. We know Giannis Antetokounmpo um, is currently out for game three with, I think, that back injury uh, looks to be not a bone fracture. I think I've seen the reporting as a soft tissue injury. Uh, talk to us really briefly about this one because we've got to move on to some fun stuff. It was an absolutely emphatic game two victory, Alex. The Bucks equaled a... NBA playoff record for most threes made with 25 dating back to the 2016 Eastern Conference Finals, if I'm not mistaken, against sorry, the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Atlanta Hawks in game two. So Pat Connaughton right off the top just hit all these threes, including he had and Mike Budenholz, the Bucks coach, spoke about his impact as well with Pat too. He had that still in the lap that really galvanized the Bucks into really getting to that offensive flow. They had 81 first half points as well, including 46 in the second quarter. And the threes just kept raining down. Joe Ingles, you know, hit five threes. Drew Holdays facilitating, leading to those Bucks threes as well was something that just really stood out too with Drew's, you know, patience in the paint and drawing, you know, the extra defender to him. And they just kept splashing down like NBA Jam. You know, when that hoop gets red hot, it gets flaming hot. And that's exactly what happened. And I think early on, what really led to those threes being made was getting the ball nice and early into Brook Lopez, establishing presence in the paint. And that's exactly what Brook did with an offensive rebound, including getting an N1 opportunity too. And those really sort of led to the avalanche. And Miami, you know, it's rare with them to concede, you know, as many points as they did, 138 on basically, mm. what, 59% shooting from the field, and they just completely got torched all around. And it was almost like Swiss cheese defense, as Clyde Walt Frazier would say in the Knicks commentary box. So, mm. again, it was just, you know, a real comprehensive, you know, comeback from the Milwaukee Bucks, as expected in game two after what happened in game one when they were just really porous on defense. And, yes, we can say that, you know, Giannis only played 11 minutes and, you know, hurt his back on a hard fall, driving to the rim with Kevin Love taking that charge. But, yet again, it's what happens when you have layers of depth, not just in your starting lineup, but also in the bench too. And now, as you know, the real significant contributing factors as to why, you know, the Bucks equal, you know, this best of seven series. Just to start to keep an eye on before Tom takes us home on the series, uh, Jimmy Butler averaging 30 points through two games. So this one is far from over. Tom, take us home. Yeah, so when Phoenix lost game one, uh, when the Grizzlies lost game one, and when the Bucks lost game one, there was sort of a general consensus, skies falling, oh no, is this done for all these teams? So thought I'd look, uh, look into it a bit. And luckily, someone had done this research for me online. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have been spending my whole week doing this. But I was interested to see how many times the road... Uh, when, when the road team wins game one, how often they actually go on to win the series. And to my surprise, uh, up until last playoffs, it's 50.3% of the time, does mm. if road team wins game one, they go and win the series. So it's 82 and 81 all time in the record, which I thought I thought it'd be a lot higher because you think winning game one on the road of a series, you kind of steal home court, steal momentum a bit. But clearly it's not a huge factor. And I, in recent years, in 2020, was the bubble. So home court didn't really come <laughs> into it. But... Lakers lost to Portland game one, the first game of that playoff series, and they went on and won the championship. And then the Raptors in 2019 lost mm. game one at home to Orlando, I believe, mm, I and, yeah, and went on to win the championship. So I, I think, you know, sometimes we sort of do need to just go timeout. It's one game. 
let's see what happens to the rest of the series before we you know, rule teams out of uh, the championship contention. Yuri, go ahead. Uh, yes, there was also one that also Tom touched upon. It was back to like 2001 too with Sacramento and Phoenix, the 3-6 matchup in the first round. I remember the Suns won that first meeting, 89-86, and of course the Kings bounced back in the next three games back then when first round playoff series were in five. So that's just something mm. I wanted to touch on too. Mm. Okay, now it's time for Alex's secret segment. If you're new to the show, I am the host of this podcast, so I design a segment every week and don't tell our panelists about it. And we get some uh, fun or raw reactions or quizzes going. This week, as uh, some of you may know, I am wearing a Toronto Raptors jersey. I am a fan, and my team is no longer in the NBA playoffs. And I need you guys to help me find a new bandwagon team to cheer for, to give me joy, to give dopamine into my brain. So I'm giving you all 60 seconds to try and convince me to join a team. Um, Jules, we might start with you and your time starts now. All right. Well, speaking of bandwagon, I'm going to um, get you to join the Suns, right? Because um, because of Kevin Durant right now, you know, <laughs> speaking of bandwagon and joining new teams, <laughs> it moves around so much, right? But think about supporting a team with Chris Paul, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. I mean, those jerseys will maintain their value for years if you buy them. Um, okay, and, yeah, that's you could smart. Even get a, you could even look far in between for a Tory Craig jersey as well. I just think the Suns have a really nice um, uniform as well, nice colours. And, um, yeah, how can you really go wrong with KD? I don't think I really need to say more, to be honest. 30 seconds, too. You've got extra time if you want to use it. I really like uh, those black just, jerseys. For the last 20 seconds, I'll just repeat KD, KD, KD. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you've got a really convincing argument there. You might be <laughs> the best shooter we've got in the league. Okay, I'll take that on board. A strong pitch there from Julian Tom. You've got 60 seconds to convince me to join a bandwagon team and your time starts now. Yeah, boy, I wish we recorded yesterday, but I did pick the Celtics. Uh, <laughs> even after today, you know, minor, minor bump on the road, hopefully. Uh, look, I'm going to say they're not even close to hitting their best yet. Uh, I think their best was at the start of the season, but I think they can recap, uh, you know, sort of get that form back. Uh, they are fully healthy besides Gallinari, but he has never played for them, so you don't really count him. So for the first time all season, they're healthy. Rob Williams looked good when he actually plays on the freaking floor. Uh, you know, hopefully more than 19 minutes in game four, that's for sure. Uh, they've got lineup versatility, so they can go three guards, they can go two guards, they can go big back a front court with Horford and Williams. They've got depth. I mean, Brogdon, Rob Williams are coming off the bench. Grant Williams didn't even play until today, and he came in and hit, I think, three threes and made a few nice plays. Tatum and Brown, they're a deadly duo. Uh, you know, they average, I think, 56 and a half points mm. per game this season together. Um, they've got defense, you know, except for today. Uh, normally, uh, five and seconds a, remaining. They've got a history of beating the 76ers in the box. So, and your time is up. Okay, you're right. Now, the, the jerseys for the, the Celtics are a bit more classic, but I don't look good in white. So, I'll have to wear that green Celtics I, I've jersey. Got, I've got a green Kyrie Irving jersey if, you, if you'd like it. Oh, it's Kyrie. I might have to give that one a miss as an Australian. I think that's a, a sore subject. Yuri, you've got the benefit of going last. You can see the, the strengths and weaknesses. You've got 60 seconds to convince me to join a bandwagon, uh, to join a team as a bandwagon fan starting now. Yeah, so I'd advise you to join the Milwaukee Bucks for this playoff run, mm. Alex, as well, and I'll give you the reasons why. The humility of this team, you never see arrogance from, you know, Giannis, who's as humble as they get, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, who's equally like Giannis too, doesn't show much emotion apart from, you know, that brilliant defensive play in Game 5, the Eastern Conference semifinals last year when he threw the ball off Marcus Smart. What a play that was. Also, the crowd in Milwaukee as well, fear the deer outside during the playoffs. That was at the deer district. 
How can Similar you not to get the Jurassic Park for the Raptors. Yes. Yeah. Okay. How I can you not it. get a better crowd of, than that? 65 raucous screaming fans, man. It doesn't get any better than that. You think of Bango the Buck as well. Well, can't you get a better mascot than him too? He's arguably one of, you know, the best NBA mascots apart from, you know, Benny the Bull, who's, you know, well seconds. known for a long period of time. And also just the Bucks defensive and offense too. They rank right at the top and, you know, that's what carries them a long way. That's my conviction for why. Wow, that is three amazing pitches right there. And unfortunately, I've got to pick one. So I've got to choose uh, who I should start eliminating. Yuri, I don't think I'll eliminate Milwaukee because I've been to Wisconsin for a wedding once. So that gets me through to the second round as a Milwaukee fan. Julian, hmm. Tom, can you answer a question for me? Do the Celtics have any Australian players in their lineup? Uh, uh, I'm going to have to go with no. Uh, uh, Because I know Jock Landau Landau. plays for Phoenix. I don't think that. How did I not mention that? I wanted you to work it out on your own. Hey, we've got Joe Ingalls film Milwaukee as well. Tom, I think the Celtics are getting eliminated. Sorry, mate. All right, well, when we win the championship, you'll be laughing. Yeah, it's a rough day for you. (laughs) Bad day. (laughs) So now I've got to pick between Milwaukee, which is fear the deer, great slogan. Do Phoenix have a slogan like that? They've got something about beyond the valley. I don't know if that's a nice one. Oh, decisions, decisions. Julian, do you really think Phoenix can win the title? I'm big on them for some reason. I, I know, yeah, I don't know if anyone else sees it, but I just, I really like them. You do have Chris Paul on that team, who I'm not a fan of playing. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> moving to Yuri. Uh, the Bucks, can they win the title with Coach Bud? Absolutely, Alex. And I think, you know, we've seen throughout as well the adjustments that he's made too. And I think the biggest thing as well, what they've been able to do without Giannis, three and one without him in the playoffs. And we thought in game four when he, you know, initial fears when he did his ACL in the conference finals against the Atlanta Hawks that, you know, Milwaukee's hopes of, you know, winning their first championship in 50 years were over. But no, they found a way because, again, the depth of the team from the second unit and they have guys who can start as well when Giannis gets hurt. I've come to my decision. Tom, who do you think I've picked? You've got no skin in this game anymore. Uh, I reckon you've probably gone with the Bucks. I own a Devin Booker Phoenix Suns jersey, so it would be really easy to join that bandwagon. But Yuri, I think I want... Giannis to get a second NBA title. I think you've convinced me. They've got Joe Ingles and he jingles all over the court. I think I'll become a Milwaukee Bucks bandwagon fan. Thank you very much, boys. That was great. Very good. All right. We might might really quickly go over our performances of the week and then wrap up with our mojo ratings. Uh, Jules, we'll start with you. Have you got a single performance of the week you want to touch on? Because there was a few 40-point games all over the place. There was some really big fourth quarters. There was there were some really big games that I've actually gone with Tyrese Maxey's game three, which was actually not his not his um top score in the playoffs. I think he scored 33 in game two, but he's 25 points in game three. I just wanted to touch on that because I watched the last quarter and um gee, uh, the Nets looked like they were about to run away with it, and Embiid was really struggling on the floor with his injury. And then enter Tyrese Maxey, who scored uh, I think he scored 10 points in a row within the last three minutes. And they were some big shots as well. They were, they were three-pointers. There were some um, drives. There was a steal and a layup. And I thought that he was just unbelievable in that game. And I think he was the reason um, that they got over the line. Five, um, five threes from eight attempts. And, mm. uh, yeah, for him, he's just got that X factor about him. And he loves the game. And he really enjoys celebrating and playing. And I think, yeah, that was my performance of the week. Tom, have you got a performance of the week? Yeah, I do. And as I touched on earlier in the week, I've gone with Kevon Looney. Uh, only scored four points, but 20 rebounds, nine being offensive, and yeah. nine assists. 
And, you know, the big question going to game three was who's going to take that Draymond role. Upsteps Kevon Looney, who played it to a T. And honestly, his uh, his offensive rebounding was so good that the Kings were putting so much attention into him. It led to other players getting boards. So I think DiVincenzo had like two or three. Uh, even Poole had a few. Kaminga. And it just created opportunities all across for the whole entire team. So his impact really uh, was felt and had more rebounds and assistance to bonus. So he, out, he outdid his matchup. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of the like the terminology when a player scores 20 rebounds. Um, the No Dunks guys, who used to be the starters on NBA TV, they came up a few years ago. With all these guys that pull down rebounds, like the highlights aren't sexy, so you never watch them, but you want to know when someone's had a really good rebound game. And their reasoning was that the um, initials for rebounds, RB, look like roast beef. So when you get 20 rebounds, that's some big beef. And they, they've got a guy called Trey Kirby. He'll just yell into the microphone, big beef. <laughs> so 20 rebounds. This always stands out to me in the stat sheet. And I love that one. Yuri, we'll finish with you, your performance of the week. And I actually got a couple both in the same game from Sacramento's game one winner, Alex, with Darren Fox's 38 points and Malik Mock's 32 points. And Darren came up big right in the fourth quarter of those number of, you know, clutch mid-range jump shots as well. He hit that important three, two, and... Just his drives to rim caused so much, you know, havoc for Golden State's normally very, you know, solid defense. And also Malik Monk's 32 points off the bench. He had that brilliant move right in the second quarter where he absolutely spun by Jonathan Kaminga, pulled up for three and drained it home. And now's really sort of, you know, the real catalyst push mark for Sacramento really getting on the roll. And, you know, it's not only just his three-point shooting. I think we've you have to think about Malik Monk too. He's a brilliant drive driver to the rim as well. He's, you know, an excellent athlete dunker too. So I think those are, you know, the things that Golden State got really found on with him. And, you know, it's a tremendous boost because yet again, when, you know, offense does dry up, and yes, of course, offense hasn't dried up apart from game three for the Kings. If they ain't getting absolutely rolling and playing, you know, 25 to 30 minutes, you know, for, you know, games four and beyond, then it's going to, you know, at least go a long way to, you know, Sacramento, you know, hopefully for their supporters as well, elusively getting through the first round. So those two contributions as well. And De'Aaron's jump shooting as well. I think looking back at his numbers a few weeks ago, you know, his field goal percentage has always been around sort of, you know, the 46, 47% mark, which is, you know, tremendous for a point guard where they normally sort of, you know, a long time ago, we've averaged about, what, 43 44% because, you know, most of what he wants to do is attack the paint. So, again, now's my, you know, takeaways in terms of, you know, the two best performances for the mm. week. I think for mine, I've got to pick Jamal Murray. He had uh, 40 points, including shooting 6 of 10 from distance in Game 2 uh, against the Timberwolves. That was his first 30-point performance in the postseason, 30-point performance in the postseason. Let's try saying that 10 times fast. In front of his home crowd, uh, in the bubble, he had those big games, but that wasn't at, at Ball Arena in Denver. So he had a monster game, and it came at a good time for him. You can sense he's getting that rhythm back. Also, shout out to um, Michael Porter Jr. He had 16 points that game, but 13 of them came in the fourth to give them the lead. Um, again, there's this guy called Terry on TikTok who just shows that Michael Porter Jr. never passes the rock when he gets it. It's my favorite thing to watch. He just rises up and sinks him. So. I wish I could shoot like that. We're going to move on really quickly and finally to our Mojo Ratings of the Week. We're on a podcast on the Mojo Sports Network, so we give a rating based on how every team's kind of feeling what their mojo is at the moment. Uh, for example, I've rated the Clippers a 2 out of 10. I don't think they're feeling very good at all. They'd be a 1 out of 10 if they weren't getting a brand new stadium next year. So I think the Clippers, their Mojo Rating, 2 out of 10. Tom, who have you got this week? Uh, I'm going with the Miami Heat. 
two out of ten as well. I mean, they would have been top of the world after winning game one, but they blew a golden opportunity in game two. No Giannis. You have to win that to take a 2-0 lead and then go back home. They blew it. Not only did they blew it, but they got blown out, which is just outrageous. Uh, Hero got injured out for, you know, until the finals. He's out for their season. They're not making the finals. Uh, they got a bleak future ahead. And also, a bit personal, but I did write an article about Jimmy Butler last week, and then they went and won game one, so I couldn't publish it. But hopefully it. this week. I love it. What a plug. Uh, Yuri, what's your mojo rating for the week? Yeah, so I've got the Knicks 7 out of 10. Yeah, Alex. Right. I think, you know, after what happened in game three, you know, that tremendous defensive performance today, holding the Cavs to 79 points. And as you mentioned as well, the first time all season, including the regular season, where a team has, you know, scored less than 80 points in the game. So that was, a, you know, another excellent coaching display from Tom Tibbs, who's been, you know, um, you know, the defensive guru. We've seen that right th- throughout, yeah. you know, being assistant coach in Knicks as well, being, you know, the lead assistant in Boston where he basically set the archetype for, you know, basically what, basically setting up, you know, the whole architectural structure and trying to, you know, combat Kobe Bryant's, you know, offensive mm. wizardry. And that absolutely got, you know, Boston to its first, you know, championship since 1986 back then. So what they'd be able to do, you know, shutting down the Cavs, and especially Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland today, that was major in itself. But yet again, this series was the hardest one to pick out of the eight and I still, you know, have it going to, you know, a sixth or seventh game. So yet again for the Knicks, though, a real positive sign, though, for what they'll have to do, just like in game one where, you know, the Cavs came back at them late. This is a spoiler alert if you're still listening to the podcast. We're about to finish. There's only a couple of minutes left. And I would implore you to go look at the fourth quarter highlights from that Knicks versus Cavs game today. One really great playoff game. Um, Julian, you can go watch as well. But the crowd in MSG is just wild. It's it's really fun to watch the crowd when they're having fun. Julian, take us home. Your mojo rating for the week is? Uh, I've talked about the Suns too much. I'll go sixes. I'll give them a <laughs> seven out of ten. I think um, they're doing what they need to be doing um, and, and all their players are actually starting to step up. We called out Tobias Harris a few weeks ago, but he's actually been okay in the first few games. PJ Tucker has been battling hard, eight rebounds, seven rebounds and eight rebounds. Um, Harden's been getting assists. Um, Melton's been chipping in with some points and Maxi obviously 33 and 25. So yep, very much on the right track. Just, um, just remains to be seen whether they can do it against the good teams. And without Joel Embiid, maybe we'll see. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. All right, guys. That's unfortunately the end of our show for this week. We did a full air again. Um, and as always, it, it's super, super fun. Julian, how's your, like, is it footy tipping we're talking about? How's your footy <laughs> tipping going? NBA fantasy is finished. I'm on AFL fantasy. We're, we're sitting around maybe for 5,000, I think. So we're, we're falling each week. It's okay. okay. I keep Rinsing telling on. you, if it gets worse, we'll cut you from the podcast. So I've got to stop <laughs> saying that if you keep sliding. No, no, we need, I need you that. around. I need that motivation. <laughs> Tom, uh, have you got anything coming out this week on the raw.com or elsewhere? Uh, hopefully an article on Jimmy Butler, but uh, who knows? If they go and win another game, I might have to completely scrap it, but we'll see. Yuri, what have you got coming out this week? I've seen yeah, you post so, a few things yeah, this week. Last, last week's eventually uh, well, set up my whole Substack account, so I've been publishing you know, game takeaways on the matches I've been watching and got one hopefully you know, published this afternoon as well on yesterday's Bucks Heat game two from, so I say Thursday as well, game three is tomorrow. So I have one up for that too. And also one up for game three of today's Celtics-Hawks game as well, which, you know, Atlanta, you know, responders, they did, you know, last postseason, the first round game three against the Heat. So that should be up, you know, very shortly. I'll plug myself and Jack, who had to leave early for commentating duty. Very exciting for him to get the call up very late. So you can find Jack at Sports Confidential Podcast. 
If you want more NBA content, you sicko, you can find me at the podcast Bebo Bites, which is a three to five minute daily recap. I usually have some jazz music in there to make me feel a little better too. Lads, we'll get together next Sunday, which is right after the scheduled game seven. So we'll be able to react to everything that happened in that first round and look forward and preview round two. Anyone else got anything to say before we sign off for the week? No, I was really looking forward to, you know, the remaining matches as well, Alex. It's, you know, it's been a compelling first round series and who knows, some games, you know, go to distance and that's just, you know, the fun part of, you know, the postseason, just really strange and weird things happen. Yeah, I love NBA playoff basketballs. I'm sure all of you listening do. Thank you very much again for listening. Please consider following us on Instagram at Mojo Stateside or Mojo Sports Network and give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week. Thank you, guys. As always, pleasure. Cheers, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Alex. Legends. Ooh.